Today we're discussing how mobility is impacted by the use of space. And we learn that soccer moms maybe just need to start creating fake families if they want to get out more. That is telekinetic. Welcome, I am Mitch. You are here, and Carlos Pardo is in Bogota as Senior Advisor at NUMO, the New Urban Mobility Alliance. He's going to talk with us today about this strange term, transportation avoidance, and I could not be more excited to have him on as this topic gets to the root of what telekinetic is all about, the perspective that our tools of transportation, communication, and manipulation are much more symbiotic than we give them credit for. With that, I welcome the wonderful Carlos to the show. Ben, could you give him a little walk-on music, please? What time is it anyway? Is this mic okay? Yeah. I still haven't got my super... Uh, podcast microphone <laughs> yet. I need, I need a few more excuses, but rather reasons. <laughs> All right. Well, it's great to hear your voice, sir. It's actually been a while, I think, that we've spoken, but are, are you in Bogota right now? Yeah. I mean, even if I wanted to be elsewhere, I just can't, I legally cannot travel to another country, which would be my Preference. Is that the city's slogan? Even if I wanted to be anywhere else, I can't. The slogan is actually, uh, oh no, the country has this extremely weird slogan that is, the risk is that you want to stay, which I've always <laughs> felt is <laughs> sort of enforcing, so it reinforces the idea that there's any way of risk, right? And even staying is a risk and every, but I'm, that, that's what you see when you get in the airport. <laughs> All right, so I had you uh, on here today to talk about transportation. This is, you know, we're gestating this podcast, and the the gist of it, the broad gist, is that it's about the replacement and reduction of human movement, which is kind of a weird term, I think, for anyone to grasp. But uh, of all people, I think you kind of get the idea, and anyone in transportation, I think, picks up on the the notion of that. But specifically. The reason I like you, other than other than just the fact that you're a great human being and great to work with, is that when I when we first met and I was kind of ranting about telecommuting as a transportation solution, this is uh, 2017 or 18, I guess I don't know. You you know you just very very matter of factly said, oh yeah, you know transportation avoidance as a tactic, sure. Yeah. And that was several years ago, and since then I think I I can count maybe a grand total of two times where I've ever heard that phrase uttered by anyone else, and certainly zero times where I've heard anyone in transit say, but yeah, that's a thing that I, that I work on. Right. Well, it's very telling, uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, to me, it's sort of the first thing you have to do to really understand that part. So when I was doing my master's, my dissertation director, he, he was always telling me, 
Well, when you want to solve transportation, you have to do everything but transportation. Mm. I was like, well, this is a clever sentence, which I guess will make me think for a while. But it was pretty, it was sort of the shortest way of saying the entire message, which is you need transport because transport in sort of in the context of transportation engineers, they always say transport is the derived demand because it is derived by the demand of something mm. that they need. If you didn't need something that was elsewhere, you wouldn't travel, right? That, that is sort of a big exactly. assumption. But to a great extent, it's correct. We, we can go more, much more in depth into that, but sort of that is one portion. But the other portion of, of this, which is why I've heard about this so much, and to me, it's sort of an automatic response to say avoiding is that there was this really influential document that, that was published by the German cooperation agency. And it was a pretty simple thing that a couple of people did. They said, well, let's use the reduce, reuse, recycle, recycle. Yeah. Let's apply it to transport. And then they said, well, that's, well, then the, 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 the nicer way to do this is to do it as something that is an acronym ASI. So it's avoid, shift, right. improve. And then avoid is, of course, avoidance of travel. They didn't think about telework. They were talking about the mm -hmm. urban development. Then was shifting to more sustainable modes and improving the technology of those modes. And then they, were, they would always say, you have to focus on the avoid side. You could do the shift side. And if nothing else has worked, then do the improved side. But at the same time, of course, it was very clear that everybody would prefer to do the improved side because it was sort of the shiny stuff yeah. that was purchased that could be seen in, 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 in streets. Everything else was sort of a boring, very policy-heavy uh, intervention where people would be uncomfortable with it. So, so that's why sort of people tend to forget that transport should be improved by avoiding excessive transport or irrational or transport yeah. altogether. I mean, if, if anyone were to be on board with transportation avoidance as a, as a mantra, it would be city planners and urban planners because of what you just said, right? The folks that don't have incentives to toss out the low-hanging fruit that is shiny and seems like a solution that is really in search of a problem or, or is perhaps not even a solution at all. But on the other hand, as you were saying, right, your alternative for if you're not thinking about telework when you conceive avoidance, then you're talking about your your 15 minute cities, right? Your walkable cities, things of that nature, which means rebuilding your cities, which, you know, to be fair, and I'm sure you'll go into this is probably a lot easier than it sounds, but it's a lot harder, I think, for a lot of politicians than than they want to put forth the effort to uh, to solve for. So I, I get I get why folks outside of mobility would eschew the whole concept of this or, or why it would seem distant to them. But I guess I'm surprised as to why we come across so many folks in transportation and mobility who dismiss it. Who, so I guess for the folks who aren't transit wonks, TDM, transportation demand management, right, is this general strategy around making sure that you have some control uh, over the, the planning and the operation and the impacts of how people get around a city and a, and a region, right? And I guess what I'm always surprised to see is that 
telework, uh, well, I should, let's just call it teletravel in general, right? Because it could be telehealth and teleeducation, that those don't fall under the purview of TDM or of what they should be managing as a, as a transportation manager or as a city planner or something to that effect. I mean, what is the, what do you think is the logic behind that? So, I mean, it's really interesting. I, I, when, when you look at people who have written more about communications and transport as, as two related topics, they right. actually, they have been the first to get this point very clearly. Right. They sort of say, well, you are replacing travel by communication, period, right? And when you look at the history of cities even, so telephones, like having telephones was a fundamental change in the way that you would think about factories, factory yeah. floors, the office inside the factory, in contrast to the office up very far away from the factory because you already had the telephone. So why go to the dirty factory? You can just go to the very fancy office. But anyway, go to the office, right? So, so people who have looked at those big shifts in, in the implementation of the telephone, for example, they've always said, well, look, this is how cities started to change. And this is how even the design of the, of the warehouses and the design of the factories changed because you no longer had to go work in the faraway noisy place. You, you started to have the, the CBD, basically, right? And, and probably mm -hmm. people who are going to be writing about this very long year, uh, in, in 30 <laughs> or 50 years, they'll say, well, look, 2020 was the moment when we understood that we already had everything in place, but we started to move. So, so the thing... People tend to not associate communication with travel, but it serves basically the same purpose. Right. So, so that is sort of one other thing that is very useful when you start to look at sort of the history of all these devices. Even McLuhan, like, like his whole book, whatever the name, uh, The Extensions mm -hmm. of Man, right? So then he talks about the telephone and the telephone and the, and the he talks about the train and then he talks about all these transport modes and communication modes. And it's pretty clear that he's saying, well, you could replace or you could get to another place by different modes. And some could be a physical movement to that other place or others could be just calling them. And that, that sort of is a, is, a, is a good thing to have in mind. So, so that is sort of why people don't think about this. But then you were also mentioning this other issue around the 15-minute city, which is, of course... But starting last year, everybody was saying, oh, this, this new concept, 15-minute <laughs> city. And everybody has been talking about this for an extremely long time. And it's been called different ways. Uh, one of the ways that it's been talked about is you have mixed land use or you have mixed land policy, let's say, right. in general. So, so that needs to change in order to arrive at that, that now very famous 15-minute city. And, and then all the other stuff, right? The problem with transport is that transport is actually doing exactly the opposite. So when you improve transport, you're actually making travel more seamless, but longer in distance, regardless of duration. It will be longer in distance. The, the moment that you had smoother pavement, thanks to cyclists, of course, in the <laughs> beginning of the 20th century, they literally paved the way for longer travel, longer in distance, and shorter in time. And then many other things came about. So, so in the end, transportation ends up 
reducing the probability of having these very tight-knit communities of, of relatively high density and where people can walk everywhere because transportation is making movement much more mechanized, higher speed, and farther away. There's, there's, sort of a, there's been a solution to that, which is another acronym, so TOD, transit-oriented development. So what you want is to have, yes, it's fine to have high-speed mass transit, which can connect different places, but you, in a way, preserve this mixed-use location where everybody can get most of the things that they want within a walking radius. And if they need the, the brand of shoes that is not sold in their neighborhood, but in the other one, then they take the train. And then it's fine to have that mechanized form of travel. But to the extent that you can really balance out when you're getting benefits from transportation, what are they benefiting overall? And when you want to have people sort of walking around the place where they are, then, then how do you balance those two things? And of course, when you have only highways for cars, then everything, nothing works, not even traveling by car, which is a difficult thing to, to mention in many places in the US, mm-hmm. for example, but it's just directly true, right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, because, because you already said like a thousand things and I could go on like crazy, but, but I think that those two things are sort of the main topics. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's interesting to me and I'm probably going to end up doing another episode somewhere with... Um, someone who is pretty keen on mixed use space and and changing the way our buildings function how to get that reuse out of them for mixed use is fueled by telecommuting and the notion that you know these these gargantuan structures i mean even when they're operational under the the current assumptions people are only there for a third of the pretty much a, a third of the day right and that's not even that's usually 5 out of 7 days mm-hmm. so we're talking about a small percentage of time that these things are actually being used. So, okay, if if hypothetically a third or a half of us uh, in the workforce stopped going to offices, that that could be suburban sprawl to the nth degree. And to your point, right, it could become everyone just using highways to get from one area where they feel safe and isolated and comfortable to another where they feel that way. Or it could be that all of these buildings that we used for a very specific and archaic purpose now become these mixed use spaces where there's there's all kinds of life and activity going on in them and there's obviously some constraints around how you how you redesign a, a skyscraper that was built for you know cubicles and and workers right like you can you can make a you can make a hospital out of an airport that's that's like mostly true mostly because of the oxygen ducts and whatever but but yeah, I guess if, if you want to speak to that kind of, you know, the A, the, the potential and the threat of mass telecommuting to, you know, what land use looks like, I think that would be interesting, especially in the context, I guess, of, and now I'm just giving you too many things to talk about, but um, especially <laughs> in the context of this kind of existential threat to public transit in that, you know, ridership is down and therefore revenues are down and obviously budget meetings are coming up and where you have to decide, you know, what are we going to be spending money on or, you know, do we need the budget for this, et cetera, et cetera, and what that impact means and all of that other stuff. Yeah, a lot of things. But so let's go one by one. One thing is who wants to travel. We can take that a little bit later, but who needs to travel really, really, really. So uh, 
people who are guarding a building, people who are cleaning a building, uh, uh, people who are providing health care. In, in most cases, they need to be there, there, mm -hmm. right? At least for now, before the super automation of everything that will make things much easier and you just push a button like Homer Simpson <laughs> in that episode, right? But who needs to travel is the first question that we really need to tackle. And that will help us really understand what we need to do as a response. We, the royal, we have people who work in policy. And then that can help you answer the transit question, but I'm going to take that a little bit later. But, but the question about who needs to travel, like Brookings did a nice series of, of sort of diagrams showing like who needs face-to-face -face interaction. Right. And then they started to compare that with level of income, uh, uh, safety, sort of income safety, like all these problematic things, like socially problematic things that take us to that reflection of how can I improve the conditions of travel of the people who need to travel because there's no other way for them to earn any income. Very problematic. But if we spend a few hours just thinking by ourselves, it should be fine. We should sort of start to understand this. And, and, and Buenos Aires was doing a very interesting exercise based on that. That was incredibly interesting how they started to find out in sort of a group discussion exactly where they needed to point their efforts in improving transit, right? But then, but then going to another topic that you were mentioning, sort of this whole space repurposing. And that is a fascinating topic also. The, the people who have been working most on this have been those uh, companies that have parking lots. Like this has been a topic of, it's sort of a very niche topic. How can we, you repurpose a, tr a parking mm -hmm. lot? There's companies that, are, that have been looking at this for, for almost a decade. Like this, these people, Indigo in France, they have this whole vision about the future of the parking lot. And they basically say, well, it's just, you just have to think of it as space. And then you, you, you just have to see how you can repurpose that and more importantly, how you can make that flexible use. So, so when, when we've been working, like these people work on it and they sort of, that's their business, right? So they're, they're really risking, I guess, millions of euro in that. But we in Numo, for example, when we think mostly, then we've been working on this concept of the mobility hub and this repurposing or this flexibility of each space. It's also really important because then we can say, well, what do we do when I have a, a varying demand across the mm. day? So if I, if I get a lot of people arriving in their car to this place and then continuing the travel and then picking it up, but then that changes entirely Saturday, Sunday, how can I repurpose the space and how can I make this flexible? And, and it's relatively easy to understand how that can change. But if you could take that beyond the parking lot or the integration station or the public transport station and then to office space, what are we going to do and, and what's going to be that economic and financial shift that's going to happen? Like the, many different shifts that are happening together and sort of many different disruptions that are happening that we need to tackle. And, and maybe we can also find these two... I guess negative sides to people just staying at home or tele tele everything, mm -hmm. right? So so one is time time for their own benefit, let's say. Like, like there's this 
researcher in California that's always talking about how important it is for the soccer moms to be soccer moms <laughs> because there's no other chance for them to go out in the car and be for a relatively good amount of time on their own with nothing else happening and a perfect excuse of having their own space, which to my mind is incredibly sad that they don't get it or they don't right. find it elsewhere, but, but it's sort of, that's one thing. But the other thing is sort of physical activity and how the lack of pendular movement every day and how do you, how do you compensate yeah. for that? Like here I can go up the Andes. Literally I can go up the Andes every morning if I wanted to. <laughs> Well, without the pandemic, and right, yeah. I have to wear the face mask, whatever, but, but that's sort of one way of replacing that movement. Uh, so that, that's sort of a, um, taking up a few of the points. Yeah. There. You know, that, this is a nice segue. I want to give you my hot take, if you, if you don't mind, and then we can, since it's a, a convenient little straw man for, I think, Numo's case, we can touch on some of those points you, you mentioned. Mm. My hot take that uh, caught some uh, blowback on, on Twitter was that transportation optimizes at zero. And, and you mentioned that already earlier on, right? That in the, mm. in the theoretical sense, in the, in the scientific sense, right? The, the best trip you could possibly make, the most sustainable trip, the fastest trip, the easiest trip is for you to already be where you need to be, right? And so it's the transportation mm. by nature is a necessary evil and reducing it is is a, a noble goal. But in the same way, and going back to what you said earlier, and you know, in the same way that the most efficient means of communication would be zero words, right? If, if you knew exactly what I wanted or to communicate without me saying a single word, that would be the best way to communicate from an efficiency perspective. But there's, you know, there's obviously, there's poetry, there's film, there's music, there, you know, there's, there's an art and there's a value beyond just the raw utility of communication that we obviously have as just as valuable part of our lives as anything else. And maybe to a similar degree, maybe not so much, or maybe more, I don't know, you could say the same about transportation. And so that's, that's where I guess I'd like you to kind of wrap a little bit more about the value of, you know, movement, the joy of movement, the, the necessity of movement as a part of life. I guess I'm maybe dissing my own hot take and I could have just let you do it, but. <laughs> no, 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 but it's fine. So, so I think like, like to the point of the soccer mom, like I, I, I always, I mean, from the first time I read this a very long time ago, I was like, I understand the point. I get it. I think it's right, but it makes me very sad. And I don't know why. <laughs> and it really took me a very long time. Like it took me like a year since I first read it, I guess, 20 years ago. And I was like, why does it, not make entire sense. And then I was able to, to, to verbalize it. It's because it's sad that somebody has to hide away in a horrifying situation so that they can get what they want. <laughs> and it is, it is about equity and it is about how some people are just not given the time to be on their right. own. Right. And the soccer mom has, is, is a perfect sort of this, almost an archetype of that person that's sort of, oh, well, I have to go because otherwise then the poor children will get to go to soccer. And, but otherwise they would have stayed at home doing something for the home or the economy of, of care and all these things that are almost by definition unfair. Mm -hmm. And these people never get a chance to do whatever they want. 
So it's, it's a matter of finding the perfect excuse for that time for theirs, for themselves. And if I were cynical, I could, I would also say, well, yeah, but they could also say, well, I'm just going to not be available for the next two hours. I'm going to go walk in the woods because there's woods nearby and we're just going to go and my cell phone is going to be off. Oh, there's no signal period. So, so that is sort of a a problematic nature of, of society that ends up being solved in transportation and we can't have transportation solving that. So mm. transport is in the end, the thing that solves many problems in cities. You had a spatial mismatch, which is solved by transportation because it's, I mean, that's where it ends up, right? You had a lack of equitable uh, distribution of land and, and land price. Then transport ends up trying to solve it by giving people a bus that takes two hours to get there. So, so in the end, transport picks up all the slack and all the dirt that all the rest of the sectors leave for it. So that is one big, horrible, sad sort of situation of transport. But then going to the more positive side, which is what we were talking about, there's this hypothesis, which is basically a a fact, I'd say. Uh, Jakob Sahavi was saying it in the 70s, and then this other guy, Marchetti, was saying it sometime around that. And then this other guy, David Metz, did a lot of research on a very long, long series of data from the, from the UK government. And then they all basically said, we have found that people tend to move for an hour a day. Mm. That, and and that, is the, that is a precise statement. There's nothing untrue about that. And they all, this is also Javi arrived at it by looking at a lot of data from things that he worked in the World Bank. And then he basically said, well, look, people are in the end traveling 45 to 60 minutes a day unless they have like a, a social condition, which doesn't make it possible. Da, da, da. Right. Metz, when he looked at the UK data for a very long, like 50 years of data, he found out without having read Sahavi or Marchetti or anything, he just sort of said, well, look, People are traveling like 57 minutes on average for the past 50 <laughs> years, regardless of the improvement of the travel mode, the technology, the increase in speed, like anything. Right. The time is constant. And then, so then that's crazy. Like how the hell, <laughs> no? And then, and then you start saying, okay, why? Why do I have this? Uh, and then you could say that because we, in the end, have a physical body, we tend to move in such a way that we, that we produce those more or less 45 to 60 minutes a day of travel, and then we're fine. So, so that is the Marchetti constant, and that is sort of a, a fact that you can look anywhere and then you will find this, and then you'll find that if the, if the country is more unequal or poorer, then it will increase for the lower income. But, but that is a super interesting fact. Yeah. And, and it may be because we have a physical body that needs to move, that needs to do physical activity. And if you were walking, you should be walking at, okay, miles should be something like one and a half miles per hour is a typical walking speed. And when you walk 30 minutes going, 30 minutes back, then you have what you need, right? And, and this is also what the WHO and the PAHO have found, like you need to walk for uh, in 150 minutes a week, at least, hopefully more. Oh God. <laughs> so, so it all ends up sort of... I mean, quite a deficit, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So, so that, that's... And then, but then imagine when somebody 
does do the hour, but they do it by car exclusively and they really, really don't walk more than a minute into the car and out of the right. car. Then you go to BCD and whatever. But, but so they're tricking their brain to say, well, no, I, I've complied with the Marchetti constant. <laughs> I'm fine. But then, but then you start getting fat, right? Yeah. So then that, that's sort of this beautiful, wonderful topic of the ex- that, that starts to feed into something that is also really interesting. And it's when you don't talk about tra- transport, but you start to talk about travel. And as you said, the joys of traveling and, and, and the, the interest to travel in its own right. So you're not just going from A to B, you're going from A to A, but you just went around this wonderful bunch of places, right? right. That entire question of travel as a human need goes beyond, like, and then you start thinking Marco Polo and then Genghis Khan and whatever amount of blood you want to associate to the person. But, but in the end, like everybody was doing a lot of travel mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of travel, for the sake of discovery and for the sake of, of understanding something that is beyond and is far away. And there's this allure of, of being able to travel far away. And of course, I am very far away from whatever topic we've been talking about, but that's sort of where it gets to. <laughs> well, that's the reality, I think, of it. Is, and you pointed it out so well with those studies that it takes a lot to get the average resident, citizen, whoever, to think about transportation as a, as a sociological um, problem. But, but, you know, some of these studies and some of the stuff you're talking about there is even saying like, well, even that is, uh, you know, one of Plato's caves outside of which the reality might be more anthropological, right? Like it's it's not just a matter of, you know, this is a cultural thing that we have to talk about. It's not just getting from A to B. It can be like, this is a, this is an innate thing that our bodies make us do. And that, and, and to your point that, you know, we may be doing some damage to ourselves and, and our society by unintentionally fooling and tricking our, our bodies and brains into thinking that we're doing the thing that it's asking us to do or vice versa, that maybe we need, it's something we need to find a way to overcome through more civilized uh, approaches and, and less of the caveman brain that is telling us we need to move for an hour. But, but, but that, so that it is a delicate topic, but I mean, there's this, I'm trying to remember with whom I was having that specific discussion. Like we were, we were talking about the changes that transit is seeing, mm-hmm. not to say the crisis or the, or the bankruptcy or, or any of the very true but negative words, but it's also seeing this phenomenon where, yes, it is different yeah, classes, levels of income of people who, who, who are going to be needing the service more. But the reality of the of the planning of the transit systems now is that we need to get them to operate very differently. So transit has operated in, in a way that was assuming a pendular movement, mm-hmm. which is I take a bunch of people in the morning, I bring them back in the afternoon to something which is different. And we don't yet really know what that is. And there's actually like at least three groups that I know of where we are trying to solve for that specific question because it mm. represents 
millions of dollars. Like in one city I was talking to, it represents something like $7 million a week to get that wrong. Wow. So, so what we've been trying to do is sort of uh, both play profits and saying, uh, I think that when you take these measures, these people are going to stop moving. These people are going to continue continue in at their homes and not go to the office, but these other people will want to move. And then, and then we did a survey where we were asking people when we were in April deep, like really deep into the lockdown. And we said, well, at least in Bogota, we were truly deeply in the lockdown. Like I couldn't change rooms without asking for government permission. <laughs> but like we, I was asking, okay, what, what did you use before? Like in March or February, what was your main mode of travel? Right. What do you, what, what do you think is going to be your main mode of travel when, when the quarantine ends? What do you think is going to be your main mode of travel when the emergency ends, which is sort of a little bit way off. So the, 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 the quarantine ends, but then you have an emergency for a longer while. Yeah. I and remember this. Okay. I remember yeah, this so, study. Yeah. So I did this one, but then I did another one three weeks ago where I said, okay, tell me what you used to travel in way back in February. Now tell me what you, what you thought you would do mm. when you were asked about this, what you thought you would be doing today, which is after the lockdown, what you are actually doing today. And then what do you think you'll do after the vaccine? Because of course the emergency didn't really mean anything anymore. So I, I said, okay, after the yeah. vaccine, because the vaccine is now in everybody's minds. And it was really interesting to see the two series of surveys and how they changed. Because mm. people were very optimistic. For example, they were really optimistic that they would start just going by bike everywhere. <laughs> and that, that really never panned out. They really were at home. I stayed at home, period. So that was one, one shift, right? But then the other shift is like, okay, when I was asking them before, what are you going to do post-pandemic? And then I had like 1% telework went all the way up to 7% after quarantine and then back to 3% or something mm. uh, after emergency. But then when I asked this more recently, then they were like, hey, well, first of all, I'm now, I continue teleworking. There's no sense in going anywhere, right? And then when you ask after post-vaccine, they like there was an increase in that number anyway, but it wasn't it wasn't everybody. So the interesting thing is, first of all, never trust people what they say because they're going to do something different. Already but also, you on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so so, but but then people are fed up with being at home and not having a proper way of identifying how to move every day mm. for something. And if they like, if they work in teams. How do you solve for the question of meeting every now and then? Right. And, and I mean, you and I have talked about this before because I was working with this organization, sort of trying to give them advice about this. And, and it was pretty simple, like pay them for coffee, right? I think that it was you who said just exactly that, like just give them a little bit of money and then whenever yeah. they need to meet, pay the coffee. And it would be, it is definitely going to be a more, a nicer experience, that meeting. Yeah. And they will get things done. Right, like yeah. pandemic, pandemic stuff makes it a little bit difficult. But if there is a concern for going back to see people and sort of the face to face, uh, well, I guess myth or concern or whatever, 
then just tell them whenever you need to meet somebody, go and meet them. I'll pay for coffee. Uh, if you right. really, really, really need a place where you have to sit down and write and then just use a board, well, then use a place that just rents it for a few hours. But other than that, just prove to me that you really need office space, right? That, yeah. that is sort of the thing that many people are saying, like, prove to me that. And then it's really interesting to hear people say this, like to answer to that question. It's like, well, but we, we have our archive of paperwork. Well, you just <laughs> archive it, as you have said, <laughs> just archive. Those discussions are becoming really interesting because people are starting to learn that now that they are seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and it does not seem to be a train coming, it does seem to be that they can reflect, you can sort of push them a little bit more like, no, 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 wait, mm. really convince me that you need office space. Yeah. Right. And, and it, it's hard to convince people of that. And it's hard to convince people of moving other than physical activity, marketing uh, constant, soccer mom argument, which are the three that I would, that I would accept. Yeah. That's the only <laughs> yeah. three arguments I would accept would be those three. Okay. Hey, do you want to uh, plug uh, something around Numo? I don't, I don't know if you want to plug Numo specifically or if you guys have a, a certain agenda right now that you're pushing. So Numo is the new Urban Mobility Alliance. Look it up. One of the things that we've been working on that I think can be crucial for the future of transport is the Mobility Hub because it is really starting to grapple with these questions of how to integrate everything that is flying, not flying, electric, not electric, autonomous, not autonomous, so that they all seamlessly connect. And we're, we're, we're trying to apply this in different places. That, I think, is one of the most exciting things that we've been doing uh, related to this topic, right, of, of, of how do you get to these cities where you can, you can basically connect things properly so that you don't end up having any of the bad things. And if you just want to telework in the mobility hub, you can just walk to the mobility hub and stay there because it's going to have Wi-Fi and coffee and nice coffees. Sort of one of the people <laughs> I'm trying to get in the mobility hub. We need to have good coffee in the mobility hub because it is also a place. So it's actually solving the, the, the soccer mom thing. Yeah. Just say, you're, say you have another son from another marriage and then just go <laughs> to the mobility hub and have coffee there. And you're just there and it's sort of the mobility hub and then you're done. Yeah. That, yeah. It sounds like problem solved right there. I have yeah. another son from another family. Got to go. <laughs> that's one problem solved, another created, but that's another <laughs> thing. You can deal with that later. You just needed your time. But yeah, that, that's sort of what, one of the things that I'm, I, I, I've, I've started to work on more specific things. And then one of them is the mobility hub. And, and I think it's going to bear fruit because it is fabulous idea of something that could come out wonderfully well. All right, sir. This was good. Well, thanks again for joining this. Yeah. I, I, you got a lot of great points here and um, you touched on, uh, thankfully making it easy for me, you touched on a lot of the, the nature of what this podcast is supposed to be about more broadly. So thanks for doing that, uh, that legwork. I just got to sit back and eat my brownie. Good. And it was good for me to think about these things because then I took notes of things that I had never thought before and I hope are clever. So yeah, you were the first to hear them. <laughs> All right, sir. Well, be well. Hope your family's well and uh, take care and we'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks. 
Thanks so much again to Carlos Pardo and Numo for dropping some knowledge. Thanks to Ben Montgomery for the soundtrack. And thanks to you for listening, subscribing, and rating the podcast. Hot takes and hot guests are always welcome, of course. Just reach out at Telekinetic Show on Twitter or telekineticshow.com. Take care, everyone. See you next time.